episode 85 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Hi, my name is Anders Young. I am a uh, regional pilot for SkyWest Airlines. What is going on, Aviation Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I'm your host. Today, I'm talking with Anders Young. Anders is a current regional pilot who also flew and billed time out in Alaska, flying for Raven Air. Uh, this is a great conversation I had. We actually followed each other from the get-go, from the beginning, back when I was starting out on Instagram. I found Anders's page, and we've been in contact. I asked him to come on the podcast. He said, wait until he flies for regional so he can tell more of a story. And we did. So it's been about two years since we followed each other. And he is at a regional right now. And he is just loving life. He's traveling all over the place, as you'll see once you follow him and hear his story. I really enjoyed talking with Anders. He has a great story. Started as a ramp agent out in Phoenix. And then he built his time, got his ratings in California and went to Arizona State. And he also got a job flying for Raven, flying some freight and some passengers in a caravan in the 207 in Alaska. It's crazy the stories that he's going to tell and that you'll hear. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can check out our website, www.pilotthepilothq.com. You can find links to our Patreon, our Instagram, and Twitter, and pretty much anywhere else. Also, please leave a review. You can leave a review on iTunes. We have 392 right now, looking to get to 400 by the end of the year. I think we can do it one more month ago, but we can do it. Ave Nation, I don't want to keep you any longer. So without any further ado, here's Anders Young. Anders, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, honored to be on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I've actually been following you for a, a long time. Ever since, didn't you work in Phoenix for Ground or something? Yes, I was a ramp agent for Piedmont yeah. Airlines at uh, Phoenix Sky Harbor. I remember you took a really sweet sunset photo, and I liked it. And I think I reached out to you pretty much immediately. Okay, that's, that. that's funny that you remember that. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I've been following you for a while. Uh, originally, when you were yeah flying the Pilatus, I believe. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, it feels like a long time ago. Now, yeah, it does feel like a long time ago <laughs> now. Yeah, with the with the sweet uh, the American flag paint yeah. job on the side. Yep, it was uh, uh, interesting times for sure. Yes, <laughs> but you were so you worked ramp, and then you had all your ratings when you worked at the ramp, right? Or, uh, or I was working them? on them. Yeah, so at the time, uh, let's see, that was probably when I was a senior in college, uh, and at that point, I would have been working on my commercial single. So I had my private, my instrument, and yeah, working on my commercial single. Um, and then let's see, after I graduated from college, I worked on the ramp for yeah, another couple months and got really lucky, super lucky, got hired up at, uh, with Raven Alaska at that point. And then that's kind of where the 135 thing all kicked off. Well, let's take it farther, farther back. Why aviation to start out with? Like do you come from an aviation family? Did you always want to be in aviation? How did that all start? Yeah. Uh, there's not a single person in my family that works in aviation. So I'm the first, the first person in aviation in my family. Not really exactly sure what led me to like my t- complete fascination with airplanes, but I can remember kind of the, some of the first memories. Uh, I remember in second grade, I was uh, staying at a friend's house for the night, and he had a copy of Flight Sim 2000 or 2002 or something like that. And the year before, I had taken a trip with my dad to Hong Kong, and we flew. My trip to Hong Kong, we, we flew from San Francisco to Hong Kong on a Singapore Airlines 747. And one of the first missions in Flight Sim 2002, I think, was to fly a 747 from San Francisco to Hong <laughs> Kong. And I was, I was hooked. Nerd now? Yeah, I was nerd now. <laughs> I like, not a, I don't know, press button, full throttle, like yeah. blast off, <laughs> you know? And 
Um, I remember on like the the big screen in the middle, there was like the pink line, which is funny now because yeah, everyone talks about like follow the magenta yeah, line, children of the magenta line, <laughs> yeah, children yeah. of the magenta lines, yeah. So I was I'm a child of the magenta line, yeah. I guess. Um, I mean, same. <laughs> so I wouldn't want it any other way. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I got hooked on flight sim. Um, played a lot of flight sim as a kid, middle school and stuff like that. Um, and then yeah, took flight lessons at the local airport by my house in high school. Yep. So started senior year of high school, got my private pilot's license um, when I was 17. And then, um, yeah, so that's where it all started. And I think I knew pretty early on, even before that middle school, that I wanted to be an airline pilot. Um, That's always been my goal. Um, Didn't really know that there were other jobs outside of the airlines and aviation, but, um, but yeah, it's always, always been a, the end goal. That's like awesome. What um what did your parents say? Because obviously there's like no background in aviation. There's no like yeah. So no, no guideline on how to do it. Where they just like oh sure you want to be a pilot. Absolutely. Like so and that was you know middle school. That was when I uh, let's see, 2008 2009. So right during the recession. Mm-hmm. So not the not, best time. <laughs> not the greatest time to be looking into a career in aviation. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so my parents were pretty weary about it. Um, I will give them a lot of credit though that they didn't say no, like just out of the gate, you know, they're like, I think they saw that I really had a passion for it. Um, so they allowed me to pursue that avenue. Um, but they definitely took steps to make sure that I wasn't going to, you know, set myself up for failure or, you know, get in a really bad position with the career. Um, so their big thing was going to school and getting a degree that wasn't in aviation. Um, so backup plan. Backup plan, exactly. So the end result of that is I went, I got an aerospace engineering degree. Um, yeah, not a great time to be in aviation, 2008, 2009. So that was, you know, my parents did a lot of help kind of like looking into the industry, like how, how do you even yeah, get into being a pilot for a career? Because yeah it's, yeah, it's nothing that they knew. My dad, um, my dad came from Hong Kong to the U.S. He's not, you know, from the U.S. originally. Um, my mom was in the army. She's they're they're both physicians, but yeah, no idea what to do for for aviation. <laughs> Go to Google, just Google yeah, it. Google. How does my son you know? become a pilot? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they did a really good job, and you know, I I obviously took it upon myself as well to find out how to do this, and I would constantly bug them in middle school and high school. I want to take flight lessons. I want to take flight lessons. You know, it's like that doesn't really. I mean, I shouldn't say it doesn't matter, but like flying when you're like 14 isn't going to, isn't going to help a whole lot towards getting your private. I I don't know if I, it depends on how you you do it. Like, I mean, I guess you could like prepare. Yeah. I guess like people do gliders uh, and stuff like that and you can prepare and you can get very familiar. Um, and so, yeah, so I guess like family, friends and stuff like that knew I had a passion for aviation. So I remember my uncle had a coworker who had his private, I think, and maybe owned a plane. And so for Christmas one year, like he gave me a bunch of like, um, like an old version of the pilot hand, the pilot's handbook for aeronautical knowledge of aeronautical knowledge, the P hack and um, like a Jeppesen private pilot guide manual book thing. It might even be on my bookshelf. Eh, maybe not. Um, but stuff like that. And I would just, I would tear through those, tear through those as a kid. Um, so, and then, you know, I'd play flight sim like whenever I possibly yeah. could. What's funny about aviation is how like, so you're talking about how you knew you want to be a pilot at a young age and this is what you always wanted to do where 
people like me or even people later in life, they don't know that they want to be a pilot and all of a sudden the bug hits them and they, but it doesn't matter when it hits, like you can still be a pilot no matter what yeah, you do. Absolutely. Which is, it's crazy. It's like, and it's never too late. Yeah. I see posts on Facebook and Instagram all the time. You know, people who are in their, I wouldn't, I mean, yeah, in their thirties and their forties, even fifties. And it's like, you know, is it too late to become a pilot? And no, I don't think so at all. I mean, it takes from zero to zero to hero, you know, it can take, Two three years worst case scenario. I mean, yeah, if you if you, really, scenario, if you yeah. really put your you know your mind to it and uh, do everything as 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 quick as you can, uh, you can get it done pretty quickly. And then I don't know if there's. I feel like there's a lot of people that are doing it as a second career who already have you know made a good living at you know doing I don't know working in IT tech engineering something like that. Um, and yeah, even if you're 50 years old and you get your ATP when you're 50, you can be at the, air, you can years, be at the yeah. regionals for 15 years. It's a good career. It's a good career. And yeah. I mean, I've heard of Southwest even picking up guys that are in their fifties. I mean, you can make, you can still have a lot of fun and make a good amount of money. Well, it's funny. I was driving here. We both live in Chicago. I live a little farther West and I was driving through traffic and I was just sitting here. I was like, Oh my gosh, these people have to do this every single day yeah. at like seven 30 waiting <laughs> traffic. I was like, I would die. There's yeah. no way. And I was just so thankful for aviation and the job that I had because we don't have to deal with the yep. normal mundane nine to five type Grind. life. So yeah. it's if you are tired of that and you think about aviation, go for it. Absolutely. It's like 50, 45, 55. Yeah. Try it. You might like it. And I, I love seeing that too. You know, um, I feel like people who are career changers later in life tend to be better students. Um, I saw this a lot in college. Uh, the adult students, when I say adult students, I mean like people who are not 18 to 22, you know, um, people in my engineering classes that were, you know, in their thirties and forties and getting, maybe getting a second degree or something like that. And, uh, they were always super attentive. I mean, I cannot admit to being a good student. Me um, <laughs> not at all. You know, I was sitting there with my friends, like it'd be a good day if I was paying attention, like 50% of the time. Yeah, but you it know? worked out. You're here, <laughs> it, it, right? It worked, yeah, right? You got your degree. But, but what I, yeah, but you know, like, it tend to, it seems to be like the older students like yeah. made good relationships with their professors and like right. are good students. Absolutely. I wonder if it's because maybe there's they thought more was on the line, like they understood like everything was yeah, counting and what absolutely. they're doing, where you're eighteen or just kinda of like do 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 do. Oh, I think if I could go back to school right now, I would yeah. do so much better. Yeah, I would have um, tried to get my ratings a lot quicker because it took me forever to get my private pilot license with football because I just kept making excuses yeah. over and over. It's like, I'm too tired. That leg workout was too hard. <laughs> I don't have enough leg power to do more right rudder. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to sleep in. It's yeah. just like, no, just get it done. I could be even further down my career right now. Yeah. But, all right, so let's talk about your flight training. You okay. got your private in high school yep. in California. Yeah. So How I did didn't... you pick a school? What was Because obviously, like you said, you didn't know anything about flight schools or anything. Yeah, How did I you mean, go it, about that? It was really just the closest school to where I lived. It, um, it was at Calagi Flying Farmers at the University Airport in Davis, California. Um, a couple miles down the street from my house. Um, yeah, it's great. It was convenient. Um, as a kid, I would like ride my bike there after school and like watch planes. So, so you're you like know. a full av geek. Oh, dude, full, full av <laughs> geek, man. Um, That's funny. Yeah. And then actually upon further research, I think looking, comparing that school to schools in the area, it was not only convenient because it was close by, but it was actually pretty affordable, um, you know, relatively speaking, in aviation. Um, it was a flight club so that, you know, there was a small monthly due, uh, small monthly dues, and, but it was like a non, a not, non-for-profit, not-for-profit. Um, so the 
rental rates were pretty reasonable, and they're actually still pretty reasonable um, when you look at flight schools around there. So I think that was, I mean, that helps. I'm not really sure why. I think just as a kid, you know, I was like, I just want to take flight lessons at University Airport. Like, I just, that's just where it was. It was right down the street from me. And, why would I go anywhere else? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we really looked at any other flight schools. Um, I think we looked at a couple at Sacramento Executive. Um, but, you know, then if you're going to take a flight lesson like after school, right? You know, you get out of school at 3.30, then what? You're going to go drive in rush hour traffic 15 miles away to go take a, you know, a 45 minute flight lesson or something like that. And then, you know, then it's my parents that have to <laughs> deal with that. And I think when I started flight, taking flight lessons, I think I had my learner's permit for my driver's license, but I didn't have, I couldn't drive by myself, I don't think. Yeah. So, yeah. So also, it's good to have the closest airport if it's the cheapest option or the best option because if you're going to have to worry about traffic, that's more excuses that you put in your mind yes, to get absolutely. out of that flight training. And I feel like you need everything going with you because flight training does get hard. Like, like it's the, the point. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It is like going to the gym. It's yeah. like you don't want to do it all the time, but it's something you have to do yep. to get your ratings. And the fewer amount of excuses you can put out there, the better you'll be. So make everything going in your favor rather than having to be like... Yes. So yeah, it's it's important to find cheap and close and safe. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a you got to find the safe ratio between all three of those. Yes, <laughs> and I'm, someone to drive you when you only have your permit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, what was your training like? Did you struggle with anything at all? Or was it pretty um, easy? It was, from what I remember, it was pretty good. Uh, I, you know, I have to say, flight training is not always fun. You know, it can be, it can definitely be a drag. You know, you have to get yourself there and get yourself through it. Even as you know, a full blown av geek, and you know, I was obsessed with flying as a a high schooler, a teenager. If it's your third or fourth lesson in a row and you're just going to go do ground reference maneuvers and stalls, it's the worst. You do not want to do that. You're just like, let me do a cross country. Let me go solo. Let me, you know, do something cool, not fly over freaking farm field for the yeah, time, <laughs> you know? And This sucks. And, yeah, exactly. Um, but I remember I had a lot of fun. My first solo cross country uh, we went to Half Moon Bay, mm-hmm. so we did like a big, no big tour. Deal. Yeah, no <laughs> big deal. Yeah, flew over, you know, Alcatraz, Golden Gate Bridge, downtown San Francisco, looped around the city under the Bravo airspace, landed Half Moon Bay, got, grabs up food. Um, <laughs> I do remember, you know, I was 16 or 17 at the time, so I didn't have a debit card or a credit card, and I was in high school, so I rarely carried cash on me. So <laughs> we get to the restaurant at the airport, and I'm like, oh wait, how do I pay for this? <laughs> so like, I had to like awkwardly ask my instructor to like grab my food and like. <laughs> You're like, all right, start the airplane. I'm going to take the food. We need to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Five finger, yeah. a little five finger discount. Yeah, um, yeah, but it, it was really good. Um, I think Northern California is a really exciting place to fly. You know, you're close to the mountain. You're close to Sierra Nevada's, Tahoe, Yosemite. Uh, you have the beach, Half Moon Bay. Um, you can go down to San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, uh, Monterey, I stuff did like that. My private pilot training in Ohio, not as ne- yeah. not nearly as exciting. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of really exciting destinations in California. There's cornfields, and then a bigger cornfield, and then a smaller cornfield. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> some are some are uh, plowed north south, some are yeah, plowed east west. <laughs> exactly. Some have soybeans, some have corn. It's yeah. just, uh, but the one thing when I did my training in Ohio, it was crazy because there's so many fields. And then when I went back to North Carolina, all it was was trees hills. Yeah. and hills. Yeah. And I was like, where do I land if I have yeah, an engine failure? Absolutely. It's like I kind of appreciated the Ohio training area because 
You could land anywhere. anywhere. There was fields yep. everywhere. It was like you felt more comfortable, I guess, which yeah. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but like an engine out wouldn't have been as big of a deal right. up there. Well, it's Hopefully. still a big deal, but <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, so you're doing a training, Half Moon Bay. That sounds fun. That sounds awesome. What, um, what was next after your private? Obviously, you got your private there, and then you went to college. Yep, so I got my private senior year of high school, and then I uh, went to Arizona State for college. Um, Why'd you choose Arizona State? A big part of it was I got a decent-sized scholarship, which made it very affordable. Um, so I really wanted to live in a city. Now, Phoenix and Tempe doesn't really have like that city atmosphere. So actually, I really wanted to go to Boston University. That was... Do they have an aviation department? No, nothing. <laughs> no aviation program. Yeah. They have like a small engineering school with an aerospace like track. With like one dark room that yeah, has one aerospace probably, guy. Yeah, yeah, a lab with two computers yeah. and yeah, like a two... Like, they do flight simulator yeah, all day. <laughs> like a five-inch like yeah. uh, wind tunnel or something like that, you know? Um, no, I really want to go to Boston University. Okay. And uh, the problem with that is that it's a very expensive school. Yeah. And... And they don't, halfway around the world. Halfway almost. around, yeah. <laughs> country, all the way across yeah. the country. They don't really hand out um, scholarships that easy. Like I said, I'm, I wasn't a great student. Um, but Arizona State um, offered me a pretty good scholarship that made the possibility of going to school and doing flight training a reality. And basically, it was going to be Boston University, and that could have been a, you know, a possibility, but there was no possibility of doing that and flight training. I mean, that's, that's a lot of money. Um, so yeah, I went to Arizona State and started in the uh, aerospace engineering program. Um, and I actually didn't fly for like two years. Um, so I had my private and I, would, I, I got checked out at a local flight school. Um, and I would, you know, every couple months, three or four months go up with, you know, go get current, you know, go fly around, take some friends up or something like that. Um, but I wasn't really making any progress towards flight training. And to me, that was a big morale drag, you know, that I didn't, I've never really wanted to be an engineer. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just doing it to make the parents happy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, it's a good idea, but um, yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of motivation for engineering school and I had a lot more motivation for flying. So not taking flight lessons, not making any, you know, progress towards, towards that end goal was a little rough. Um, but then. Why would you say you had, why did you take two years off? Was it just because of school? You had a lot going on. Yeah, it was that? school. I mean, the first, the first couple of years of engineering school are pretty, I mean, all four years are brutal, honestly. Um, so it was more of a time thing. You had yeah, a lot it's a lot of time thing. You know, I wasn't a great student anyways. I had to put a lot of effort into just passing the classes that I was taking. Which is important. Um, yeah, which is important, absolutely. Um, yeah. So throwing a, you know, throwing a certificate on there, another rating is not all that helpful um, towards that. Um, yeah, mostly just focusing on school. And then so, uh, junior of college, uh, I started with my instrument rating and spaced it out quite a bit. I wasn't like going super, you know, I wasn't, forcing myself through it super hard, uh, probably taking one lesson a week, maybe. Um, nothing like, you know, the, the flight program kids who are flying all the time. Did you, you didn't do the aviation 
flight trail. So you didn't do it part no. 4141, you did it 61 through Correct. the- Correct. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah. So I went to a flight school down in Chandler. Arizona. Okay. Um, How far away was that? Was that pretty far? Uh, it was- it was like a 15 minute drive okay. from campus. There's so many airports out in Arizona. Yes, yeah, crazy. Phoenix has a ton. I think there's like eight or seven, eight or nine class Delta airports plus Sky Harbor. Yeah, ton of flight training. It's absolutely insane. Um, I am kind of glad that I did get to do some flight training in Arizona just to experience it. It's because crazy. It's, it's, yeah, it's absolutely insane. When we fly down there, it's just like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. There's so many people out oh, here. Abs- yeah. Controllers are going crazy. It's just like you're like feet away from hitting other planes all yes. the time. And there have been midairs down there. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so yeah, that was down Chandler, did my instrument rating. So I got to experience the Stanfield stack. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Not, no. Um for inch for instrument students, you know, you want to do a bunch of practice ILSs, VOR approaches, and you well, I guess they didn't have an NDB. Um but most of the airports in Phoenix are class Delta airports, right? So they have some separation requirements in terms of putting two planes on, you know, stacking them up on the approach. However, at uh, Casa Grande Airport, about 40, 50 miles south of Phoenix, it's an uncontrolled airport with a full ILS, a VOR, and everything. So it has ILS approaches, VOR approaches, GPS approaches, um, and it's uncontrolled. So you can just fly like, Two miles in trail of each other. So it's like the wild, wild west out yeah, there. Yeah, and so there's a, there's a VOR to the southwest called Stanfield VOR. And basically, all the approaches have a hold there. And all the flight students, everyone goes to Stanfield, and you stack up in the hold every 500 feet going up. And so, you know, you leave the class delta, you go down there, you call up on uh, the Stanfield Unicom, you know, you know, Stanfield traffic, whatever. Uh, we're 10 miles to the north requesting top of stack. And whoever's on the top says like, you know, 6,500. Roger, 10 minutes out, climbing to 7,000. So there's just from 7,000 down. Yeah, all the way down to, I think, feet, people I think the, the bottom of the stack is 3,500. It's been a while, so I don't quite remember. But yeah, and then, you know, you someone, the person at the bottom of the stack goes VOR inbound on the approach. And they say, all right, we're VOR inbound on the ILS, you know, runway uh, five. And the person at 4,000 goes, Roger, 4,000 leaving, or leaving 4,000. For three thousand five hundred in the stack, and then everyone steps down five hundred feet. A lot of trust. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, for me as an instrument student, I'm under the hood. And you're just kind of like trusting your instructor. He's looking probably for just traffic. listening to music, just like <laughs> exactly rocking out. Like I can't wait till I'm done with this crap. I want to yeah. get out of here, not paying attention. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And then you get people who are you know unfamiliar. Um, the VR is also on a couple Victor Airways, so you get people just like transiting the airspace. Um, you know, some like blow through the hold, you know, some bananas or something like that. Yeah, I mean, and, then, the, and that's their, that's their right. Yeah, you know, they, don't, they don't know any better. Yeah, they don't know. It's yeah, they don't not, have an approach chart up there. Yeah, they not don't their know. fault. Yeah. Um, they might be with a, well, hopefully they're not with approach. Hopefully approach would tell yeah, them. Yeah. Don't do um, that. Bad idea. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I remember in, you would get some military traffic. Um, pretty much anyone who's looking to do a bunch of approaches at once would, a lot of people would go to Casa Grande. So yeah. And, the missed approach procedure was like, I believe at the missed approach point, you make a right hand turn back to the VOR. Now, when you're in a 172 or a Piper Warrior or something like that, and your ground speed is 80 knots, your turn radius is not that big, right? So you're flipping essentially a 180 to go back to the VOR, and you're basically flying straight into the final approach course. So I remember, yeah, you know, you know you'd hear someone go missed. And they say, all right, we're flying back to the VOR. And in my head, you know, I'm thinking, 
you know, kind of making a 3D picture in my head of where all the traffic is. I'm under the hood. I can't actually see them, but I'm trying to figure out in my head where they all, where all of them are. I'm like, all right, that, that person's coming right back towards us. And I remember my instructor one day saying like, oh yeah, I, I got them in sight. Yeah, we're well clear. We're well clear. And I like took a peek up from under the hood and they're like, you know, 400 feet above us <laughs> going like opposite direction. I'm like, well clear. Oh, okay. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Your definition of well clear mine are a little different. Exactly. Yeah. Um, That's funny. But yeah, that was a Stanfield stack. Yeah. So I think, I don't know if where they sell them, but I think I've seen a shirt with a design that says, you know, like I survived the Stanfield stack <laughs> and anybody who's instructing in Phoenix will, will relate to that. Crazy, yeah. I didn't have to deal with the Stanfield stack, so I'm glad. Yeah, uh, that sounds awful. <laughs> a very unique experience. Yeah, I guess made you a better pilot, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so you did your instrument there. You kind of took your time, like you said, and did you also do your commercial and get all the rest of your ratings there? Yep. So a different flight school. Um, a buddy of mine was had just gotten a CFI and was instructing at a, a different flight school. Um, for so I, I I went to them and had him as my instructor for the commercial single. Um, you know, did 11 hours in the Piper Arrow whatever, and uh, knock that out pretty quick. So, um, yeah, that was pretty good. So, and that was senior year of college. So, around the time of graduation and stuff like that from college, I had my engineering degree and my commercial single. Nice. What did you do so, for your multi? Because obviously you went to Raven to go fly yeah. singles. No, you flew 207s, right? Yeah, caravans and 207s. Okay, so you no know multi time up there. No multi. So you didn't have your multi when you went up there? No. Okay, so let's talk first about you were working ramp and then you went to Raven. So how, why did you start working ramp? What was the, I want to fly benefits. Okay. No, that's <laughs> you just wanted to travel. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, at this point I had a lot of friends that were either a couple years older than me and like, you know, starting to get into the regionals and they were starting to take trips on their flight benefits and stuff <laughs> like that. And I was like, I want that Yeah. now I want it. <laughs> you travel more than anyone I know on Instagram. <laughs> well, I try. <laughs> it's like, I, I mean, I guess my, I, I really like aviation and stuff like that, but I also, it's a means to travel, obviously. Um, I love my flight benefits. I don't know what I'd do without them. Um, but yeah, so I really want my flight benefits, or I want flight benefits. And at the time, it was still U.S. Airways in, 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 in Phoenix. It was a U.S. Airways base, um, and that's where the headquarters was in Tempe, uh, right off campus, actually, from ASU. Um, my roommate was an accounting major, and he actually got a accounting job or like a temporary accounting job with U.S. Airways over the summer. And so he got flight benefits. So he wasn't in aviation at all and he had flight benefits and I didn't. And I was so jealous. I, oh man, I can't even begin to describe. I was like, you know, he would go back and visit like family every like three weeks. And I was like, you could go every weekend if you want, you know, it's free. Hey, like, what are you doing? <laughs> you're, you're wasting this. <laughs> exactly. I was like, you're wasting it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I applied to you know Southwest, uh, U.S. Airways, and Piedmont. Piedmont offered me the ramp agent position, and I took that. So yeah, we were doing the we basically did the regional operations at Sky Harbor for American. Okay. Um, so it was the SkyWest and the Mesa CRJs essentially. Did you have American benefits only, or do you have other benefits? We or? had yeah. So since Piedmont's owned by American, we had American benefits, which was sweet. So mainline American benefits, um, which, you know, American is based off time of check-in, not seniority. So as, my dad complains about that all the time. Yes. It's <laughs> yeah. There's different opinions on it, obviously. And it, it, it really benefits people who are new and junior and it kind of 
people who are very senior and maybe have been at the company for a long time don't look as fair, favorably. My dad it. doesn't even know how to check in. He's like, <laughs> what the heck? They, my mom has to check in for me. He's coming today. And my mom is like, remember to check in your dad when he leaves. I'm like, how does he not know how to do this <laughs> yeah. yet? It's like, he's 60 years. Like, come on, dad. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it was great for me. I will say. Um, as a ramper who had been working for the company for, you know, two, three months, right out of the gate. I mean, you get flight benefits right out of the gate and it's all time checking. So, you know, 24 hours prior, you hit check-in and whoever hits it first is at the top of the, uh, top of the standby list. Um, so even as someone who had only been working there for two or three months, I was able to take insane trips that I probably should not have been allowed to take. Are pilots ranked higher than ramp agents or is it all the same? No. So any, any American employee, the standard pass travel priority is a D2. So everyone's a D2. And then you, I think everyone gets six vacation passes a year, which is D1. So if you want to burn a vacation pass, you can be on like a higher, higher tier. But, you only but get, you're still standby. But you're still standby. Right. And you only get six of those one ways per year. So you don't want to like burn them for everyday travel. Right. Kind of like an emergency, like you need to get home type deal. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Or you are legitimately going on vacation. And you want that best shot at getting a first class seat, something like that. So yeah, um, all the rampers, pilots, flight attendants, HR office, you know, management, everyone is just a standard detail. Um, and so as long as you hit that check-in button 24 hours prior, you can be at the top of the D2s. So with those benefits, I was able to, oh man, where did I go? All over. Um, Buenos Aires, Santiago, Hong Kong, Tokyo, Seoul, all over Europe. Um, and yeah, at the time, I mean, I, was, I think that was my last semester in college. I was only taking one class. So basically I had class Tuesday and Thursday and I would try and work on the ramp like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday or something like that. Try and get my schedule lined up so that I would have like Friday through Monday off. So I'd have like four days to travel. So unfortunately Phoenix doesn't have a whole lot of like international options, but I would like, you know, after class I would hop on a flight from Phoenix to Dallas and then take a red eye from Dallas to anywhere in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Anywhere from there. Um, so yeah, that was pretty great. That's yeah, that's incredible. That's definitely a good reason to go work for an airline for those travel benefits. Yes. Yeah. When I hear they're not as good as what they used to be, but it, you can still do it. You are you are walking proof that's yes. possible because you're literally in a different place every single time I check your Instagram. <laughs> it's like I think I messaged you the other day and I was like, "What are you like? Are you tired of being gone? Like, how can you do this? Yeah, <laughs> it's Some, just crazy. I mean, yeah, it does. But my like my view towards it is, I'm you know I'm I'm pretty young. I have the ability to travel and, you know, now with the jobs I have, I have, you know, kind of like a means to travel. I can afford to, you know, get an Airbnb or a hotel for the night if I need to. And it's like, I know I'm not always going to have this much free time. So do what I can exactly do all I can take advantage of it. Um, I would probably really resent it if I resent myself, if I, if I didn't, um, so, which is, it's a good thing and a bad thing. Sometimes I maybe take trips purely because I'm like, oh, I can, I can take this trip. Like, oh, there's, there's a first class seat going to, you know, this place. I, I should go when really what my body needs is like a couple of days on the couch at home. Like just a full 24 hours of sleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah. it has, has its pluses and minuses. That's awesome. I mean, it's a benefit. So go ahead yeah. and do it. And like you said, you're young. So go take advantage of it. What about, all right. So Raven, why Raven? How did that all happen? How long were you working ramp before you started applying for those kind of jobs? Yeah. Um, 
All right. I'm trying to figure out the timeline here. So yeah, after graduation, working on the ramp uh, with my commercial single, the end goal was to go to the regional airlines. Um, and the means to get to that end was to instruct. So I was working on the ramp and also working on my CFI. So I was starting like the very beginning stages of getting my CFI. Um, I think a lot of people share the sentiment that instructing is a means to an end. It's not, I mean, there are career instructors out there, but it's not what, it's not for everyone. And it certainly wasn't my dream to be a flight instructor. Um, so while I was doing that, I was also, you know, exploring the low time pilot opportunities, you know, pipeline patrol, skydive, you know, air, uh, banner towing, skydive ops. Um, what else is there? Aerial survey. Aerial survey. Yeah, there's um, oh, there's a ton of things. Yeah, lots of different opportunities. Yeah. So, you know, I'd you know, browse the Facebook pages, aviation career mentorship and corporate aviation job listings, just see what's out there. And I remember um, one guy commented like, oh yeah, my company is hiring SICs with uh, wet commercial certificate, 250 hours, no multi-required, and they're paying $205 a day. And I was like, all right, what's the catch? Like there's, I mean, that's, that's not bad for someone who has essentially zero aviation job experience. Um, so I messaged him and I asked him a bunch of questions about the job. And yeah, so it turned out it was with Raven, Alaska, um, formerly Era Aviation, which was the company that was on uh, Flying Wild Alaska, the TV show. Um, so he gave me the rundown, you know, essentially entry level position was the right seat of the caravan, um, $205 a day, two weeks on, two weeks off. Um, and you had CAS, you were in CAS, so you could jump seat. No, you didn't really have flight benefits, but you could jump seat. So I was like, all right, that's not bad because I can still travel. Um, I can fly and get paid to fly, not instructing downside, commuting to Alaska. And, um, yeah, it's that's a big it's a big change from yeah from Arizona. <laughs> Absolutely, and I grew up in California, so yeah. you know, not really an Alaska kid by any <laughs> means. Um, so basically, after a while, he he was like, "Well, you know, if you're interested, I can pass your resume on to the chief pilot." And I was like, "All right, sure, why not?" And so you know, sent him my resume, and a couple of days later, got a call from someone in HR asking if I wanted to set up a phone interview. I was like, "Wow, okay, yeah, sure." Um, did a phone interview and talked to the yeah, the assistant chief and the chief pilot uh, at the time. Um, pretty basic, pretty basic interview. I mean, it's an entry level one thirty five job. Um, you're expected to have like pretty solid IFR knowledge and stuff like that. Not expected to know how to dissect a turbine engine or anything by any means. But um, yeah, so I'm not really sure why or how. And again, I consider myself very lucky for getting this job because I know how in demand it is. Um, but yeah, they offered me the position. So Did first, you take it immediately? We're like, yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it, it's funny. Um, they offered me the position and you know you have to do your pre-employment drug screening and everything. And when they sent me the information for that, I was on a trip. I was, I was non-revving. I was, I was in Tokyo. And I was there for like four or five days and I get back to the States and I have like a voicemail on my phone. It's like, hey, this is, you know, this is Aaron with, uh, with Hagland Aviation. 
Uh, we see from HR that you haven't completed your pre-employment drug screening. Uh, we really need you to get that done or else we're going to have to rescind your offer of employment. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> you almost didn't get the job because you're out Because I was out traveling. traveling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So obviously next day went straight and got that done, sent, had that sent up to them. Um, yeah, so uh, they invited me to a ground school class. Um, it was, I believe, May 15th of 2017. And bought a ticket up there. And that was my first time in Alaska. It was for ground school. What was your, all right. So you're coming from nice warm Arizona or California, wherever you yeah. fly up to Alaska. You see the planes, you see what they operate, how they operate. What was your first, were you like, what the heck did I just sign up for? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, the ground school was in Anchorage, which relative to what I would end up, the places I would end up flying and living in Alaska, where it was, it seems pretty metropolitan. Um, my first reaction, honestly, getting off the plane in, in Anchorage was how close the mountains were. Super cool. The, the Chugach Mountains are right there, right, right outside of town. Um, very, uh, very stunning. But yeah, I guess it was, it was, it was a little bit of disbelief because it was, it was like a ground school class. You know, there were 15 or 20 of us and, you know, we, we came in the first day and there's, you know, binders with our names laid out and like, uh, manuals and stuff like this. And I was like, whoa, this is this legit. is pretty legit. Yeah, yeah this I was is not like expecting this. Yeah, was, I, I don't really know what I was expecting. Yeah. I guess, but um, yeah, it was pretty legit, and I was just excited to get started. Absolutely. So, what was the What was the flying like? Oh man! So you finish, you do your, you know, essentially what's in doc. So just you know, company procedure stuff like that, um, and then they actually rent out the caravan sim at the University of Alaska Anchorage. So you do like two days of sim, so you like practice emergency procedures and um, some basic maneuvers and stuff like that. Um, then they send you out to, they will send you out to a base to do your flight training, essentially, to fly the actual plane. And they sent me out to Bethel, Alaska. Uh, I want to say 400 miles or so estimated uh, west of Anchorage. Okay. Was it like the bush of Alaska, like real bush pilot stuff or? Well, I think in my, like there's, there's like kind of, I don't know if I would call it bush pilots. So, so we were flying, you know, it was scheduled passenger and cargo operations. So it, it was, we had a scheduled service and stuff like that. We all, we only landed at airports and by airports, I mean like, you know, a gravel strip, you know, usually it was like 3000 feet. Alaska so. airports. Yeah. yeah, Alaska airports. But they were airports, they were in the database. So like to my like personally, I don't consider it bush flying. But for me, someone that's never flown on a gravel or anything, yeah. it's like like in, in in my opinion, bush flying is, you know, the guys in their their super cubs with the 31 inch Alaska bush wheels, uh landing on sandbars and stuff like that. That's to me, that's bush flying. Um but yeah, it was Bethel, Alaska is a completely different world. Um if you were blindfolded, teleported, and dropped off in Beth, Alaska, removed your blindfold, you would have no idea you were in the United States. No idea. Um, there's one paved road through town. Most stuff is dirt, gravel. Unfortunately, Bethel struggles. There's, there's a large portion of the population that struggles with poverty and, and alcoholism, um, which that's a conversation that could go on for another three hours on, on, that, thing, on that whole deal. Um, but yeah, it's a different world. Um, there's very limited cell service. Um, you're not going to get off the plane and 
check your Instagram. That's yeah, it's not gonna not gonna happen until you can find some Wi-Fi somewhere. It's like a worst case scenario for a millennial pilot. Oh my god, I was dying. <laughs> yeah, you gotta tell everyone. You gotta show the pictures. Um, exactly. Um, yeah, there's a term called the Bethel 180, which is what happens when somebody gets a job out in Bethel. They get off the Alaska Airlines jet and they do a 180 and get straight back on the jet and go back. Oh, to the really? Beach. Yeah. <laughs> nope. So, not yeah, doing just, that. Nope. Not doing it. Not for wow. me. Yeah. It's, it's a completely different world. And, um, so you'd yeah. live in Bethel for two weeks and then you'd go back. Yep. So okay. the company had crew housing for us. Um, Bethel was our largest base. There were, I want to say there were about 20, 20 pilots per shift. Um, so they had, they had four houses for us and, so they, yeah, they provided housing. They had, there was a van and stuff that we could drive to and from the airport. It, 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 it looks, it looks like a washboard, right? Um, and so like the house we walked in, first thing I noticed was that the entire living room floor was slanted like two or three degrees. Like if you put a marble on the floor, it would not stay <laughs> in position. So I'm guessing at this point, you're kind of like, what the heck did I sign myself yeah. up for? And there's lar- there were like large portions of the house that were um, just plywood and a little bit of insulation taped on there. <laughs> you know, it was pretty bare bones. Did you ever think about quitting and going back home? Yeah, actually. The, I don't know, I guess the attitude towards towards some of the, towards some of the new guys. And I don't know if it's the same right now, but I mean, you could tell right off the bat that, you know, like I was someone who wanted to eventually like fly for the airlines. Right. I mean, um, so a lot of the guys that work up there are, you know, either locals to the area, um, or are people who don't really have a desire to fly for the airlines, stuff like that. You know, living out there is a completely different way of life. Um, Nothing wrong with it. People enjoy no, absolutely that kind of way not. Of life. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just um, different. It's just different, and I guess maybe the attitude towards a a new guy and b someone who's kind of looking to, you know, like thought of myself as oh ho 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 I'm a cool airline pilot. You know, some kid with 250 hours. You know, those guys have 10,000 hours. 9,000 of them in either a twin otter or a caravan fly into little villages in Alaska, you know, it's and great weather. Yeah. And great weather. So yeah, not great um, weather at all. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I probably looked like a complete idiot walking in there for the first time. And so, yeah, that coupled with the complete culture shock of living in or of spending my time in Bethel. Um, yeah, I think there was a little part of me that wanted to quit and go home and, you know, do something different. But at the end of the day, I was so, I was, I was so excited to be flying. Um, you felt like a real pilot probably for the first time in your career. Yeah, you absolutely. I mean, yeah. someone's paying me to fly. They're paying passengers. Um, you know, we got assigned a flight and there are, you know, nine people waiting on us to fly home. You know, it was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, it was a little, it was, a, it was a bit of a rough start. Um, any personal minimums that I may have had as a, 250 hour pilot that was had most of his experience flying in the excellent weather of Arizona and California got completely tossed out the window <laughs> in Bethel. Um, You're like, wait, we're doing what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Our, our yeah. op specs, uh, I believe we could go VFR at, uh, we required 600 foot over or 600 foot ceiling and two miles in flight visibility. And that was VFR. Yeah. So you could just launch on a 150 mile flight and fly the entire thing at 500 feet. 
terrifying in Alaska. Yeah. And or anywhere. I think until you've actually flown at 500 feet with a ragged overcast ceiling at 600 feet and two miles of in flight visibility, um, it's a lot lower than you think. It is not good. Um, and so I remember my first flight, my first revenue flight on the line. So, you know, um, I was completely like dumbfounded by the fact that that was legal and standard practice, essentially. Um, a lot of stuff out there is non-radar. So if you're doing approaches, um, which you can get through Anchorage Center, um, it's one in, one out. So my first flight, we were going out to Hooper Bay, Alaska, which is on the far west coast of Alaska. and. I believe we were IFR initially, but there was a medevac King Air ahead of us. And essentially what was going to happen was that we were going to end up holding for quite a while, waiting for, the, waiting for the King Air to get in before we could get our approach clearance. So we just, you know, went down, canceled IFR, and did the rest of the thing VFR at 500 feet. Because then you don't have to hold and wait. Yeah. You can just your VFR. Your VFR, you can yeah. go in. Well, there's no radar. So, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like try not to incriminate myself. And, like all the all the stuff we did. Um, I mean, 135 world. It's very similar to what I was doing. Like they expect you to get the job done, and holding for that long is kind of unacceptable because yeah. they have a timeline they have to go on. Yeah, absolutely. And although it might not seem like the safest thing in the world, I'm sure if you looked into what you're doing, like they were in your op specs. Kind of how Alaska operates, you yep. know? It's kind of like you had to do what you had to do up there to get the job done and 500 feet VFR, surrounded by mountains in Alaska with planes around, no radar. It's kind of like what you had to do. Yeah. And frankly, the fact that we were even IFR to start out with was uh, a result of the change of culture um, that had started before I had even started working for that company. Um, for, I think, many, many years before I came there, you know, um, IFR just wasn't even a thing. It was just, I mean, you'd be flying in IMC and you'd be flying VFR, you know, just bootlegging it, um, getting the job done. You know, there's no one, there's no eyes on you. There's no one to, you know, a lot of time you're single pilot up there. You're not anyone enforcing the rules of the road per se. Um, and there's a lot of situations where IFR could actually get you in more trouble in terms of flying. So, I don't know. The first example I can think of is, you know, in the winter, let's say there's a ceiling over the entire area that's, you know, 1200 foot ceiling. Well, you could go IFR where the, you know, minimum in route altitude is like 4,000 feet. They got to get you up to that altitude for radar contact. Well, now you're at 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 feet in the ice in a caravan with boots that don't do a whole lot. Been there before. Yeah. That, that don't <laughs> do a whole good. lot towards um, keeping the ice off your plane. First thing, caravan and icing, never no, fun. Yeah, not fun. Um, or you could go VFR, stay out of the ice, down at 1,000 feet, but now you're scud running, right? So it's kind of like a pick your poison. Um, yeah, what are you more comfortable with? Exactly, and it depends on the day. Um, you know, you talk to the other guys that are flying too. How bad's the ice? Is it manageable? Is it not? That'll obviously influence your decision. Um, how fast does the weather change up there? Out in the YK Delta, I, I wouldn't say it changed super fast. Um, that entire area is pretty flat, actually. There's not a whole lot of terrain out there. Um, from what I've heard, 
yeah, down on down in like the southeast chain, uh, Juneau, Ketchikan, um, Sitka, places like that, and like maybe down in like Kodiak or on the Aleutian chain, weather changes quite a bit faster with the terrain um, and all the mountains. It wasn't too bad. It was just the biggest issue that I had with the weather was like, yeah, you're going to fly in some bad weather, and it's not necessarily going to change fast, but it's like. I think I heard someone say, you know, what's the difference between a private pilot and a commercial pilot? A private pilot wakes up and checks the weather to see if they can go fly that day. A commercial pilot wakes up, checks the weather to see what kind of weather they will be flying in that day. It's like, if it's legal, you're going to go. It's, you know, it's, you're expected to be able to fly down to minimums, which is, which is perfectly reasonable thing to assume, but it just sucks. You know, when we were flying the 207, um, Again, scud running if it was 40 mile surf, 40 mile, 40 knot surface winds, and you knew it's going to be, you know, 60 knots at a thousand feet and bumpy. It's like, all right, well, it's legal. You know, it's 1500. Yeah, exactly. It's like, all right, right, guys, strap in, get comfy because it's going to be a bumpy ride. Hey, look back. This is going to suck. Yeah, exactly. So, um, would you do it again? Looking back on everything, seeing kind of like, uh, looking back on your perspective of what that did for you and the knowledge you gained. Yeah, you absolutely. Back it again. Um, I think it was an invaluable experience um, for a couple of reasons. The first, the big one is that it makes me appreciate my current job yeah. so much more. Same. <laughs> um, Not saying we came from the same background, but... Flying for the regionals compared to flying in the bush is like being the most pampered princess ever. <laughs> I've yeah, it's a joke, honestly. Um, yeah, flying for Raven, you flying one thirty five, not just for Raven, one thirty five. It's a one man job, and I think we we talked a lot about that when I first started following each other on Instagram. Was, um, yeah, you are your own fueler, you're your own, you know, ramper, you're your own flight planner. Um, we did all of we de-iced our own planes, so yeah, so like. The, the process for a flight would essentially be, you know, we get assigned a flight from dispatch. We get our manifest. We say, okay, we have 2,000 pounds of this going to whatever village. All right, so I need this much fuel to do this flight per these either IFR or VFR flight rules if we need an alternate, yada, yada, yada. Go out into the warehouse, find 2,000 pounds of whatever stuff we were taking, whether it's soda or chips or fresh two week old fruit or, <laughs> um, uh, you know, a outboard boat engine or an ATV or a snow machine, something, whatever it is, go find it in the warehouse, try and convince some rampers to help you load it. Um, we were like always critically understaffed. We had rampers, but they were just so shorthanded. I, I don't blame them at all. They, you know, um, so then you, you get it all together, you get it all weighed, make sure the weights on all the packages are accurate and stuff like that. Put it on pallets, get the pallet jack, drag it out to your plane in the snow, load it all up, install seats or remove seats depending on if you need had if you need more space or if you have passengers. In the caravan, a lot of times we'd do cargo on the left side of the aisle and then passengers on the right side. So you'd have you know 800 pounds of Gatorade strapped down under the cargo net on the left side and then you'd have six seats set up on the right side of the fuselage. For passengers, um, whatever, get it all set up. 
um, get your fuel, get the fuel truck over there, uh, fuel up the plane. And then if you need a de-ice, get into the de-ice bucket and find a ramper to drive the... We didn't have a traditional de-ice truck. We had a metal tower with a big tank of type 1 fluid, a burner can, and a water compressor hooked up. And then they would, they would get a, uh, a Caterpillar, uh, like a loader, with a forklift attachment, stick the forks through the tower, stri- like chain it up to secure it, and then they would lift it up off the ground and drive you around the plane. And you'd stand on top of the metal tower with your water compressor and hot type one fluid and spray down your plane. There you go. Not OSHA approved. I that don't think. Just scr- <laughs> that screams 135. Um, yeah. And then you de-ice the plane and then you hope that it doesn't snow because we weren't approved for type four or any, any holdover times. So you hope, it doesn't st- you hope that it doesn't snow or start freezing. Um, run inside, call your flight. Hey, this is flight, you know, whatever, going to Hooper Bay. Passengers meet your pilot at the door. Grab your six passengers, get them out to the plane, help them with their seatbelts because, again, I. Pyramid seatbelts are difficult, man. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like having to, the number of times you have to explain how to put a seatbelt on is mind boggling. Um, But yeah, and you get all that done, and then it's it's time to fly. And then you you fly. Flying is the easy part. Flying is the easy part. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you went into that because. When you're building your time and you go to these 135 or 91 operations and stuff like that, like there's so much more work than just flying that you don't really understand and how oh, much it yes. sucks to load a plane, figure everything out. I mean, I've had to load a 3,000 pound skid all by myself in a plane. I had to yeah. drive the forklift, put it in, had to get a winch. The winch didn't work. Had to get the straps, the strap at one inch at a time to go up, retighten it. And it's just like, yeah. it was uphill. It was uphill both ways. Yes, you know, like exactly. Those kind of stories are just, that's tough. It's hard. And then yeah. you got to go fly and crappy weather and all the scud run at 500 feet. So. Yeah. That stuff sucks. Yes. Building your time is pretty terrible sometimes. Yeah. And then so you do that. And to put into perspective, I would fly in the summer months when the weather was like decent enough. And I say decent. I don't say, I'm not saying good. I'm saying decent enough to fly all day. You know, we would fly seven, seven and a half up to our limit of eight hours a day, every single day for 15 days straight. Um, it was nonstop and you'd get home from work and you were just both physically and mentally beat. You just 10 hours of rest and go do it again. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, 135, 14 hour duty day, 10 hours of rest. That's 24 hours right there. Just rinse, wash and repeat for 15 days. Um, What's that chronic fatigue like for you up there? Brutal. Um, Usually I tell people days one through nine or 10 weren't bad. I mean, the first couple of days weren't bad at all because you know, you're back on shift, you see your coworkers, you're your excited. friends. Yeah, you're excited. Yeah. You see your friends that you, you live with. Um, you're refreshed. Uh, days five through 10, you know, just work days. Days 11 through 15 or 16, depending on the month, um, could just be an absolute drag. Just um, try to survive. Oh, you're just trying to survive. You know, yeah. we, I'd, our van would leave the house at 7.30 in the morning. There'd be days I would wake up at 7.20. I, I mean, you're dirty. You don't even bother like taking a shower. You just put your clothes on and stumble out the door, get in the van, trying to like chug some coffee, get through the safety briefing in the morning, and you go pre-flight your plane. You're like, all righty, here we go. And you do that for you know, 10 or 12 hours at the airport. And then you go home, you make dinner, and then you take a shower and you pass out. Did you have a big whiteboard where you're marking up all your hours and how close you were to getting out of there? Um, 
Or maybe like a mental note, like, all right, I have 40 more hours left. It wasn't so much as, I wasn't really making a note until I could like get out of there. Um, I definitely had some like competitions with my, with my friends to see who could fly the most in the shift. I would, I would always try and fly as much as I could in mm-hmm. a shift. Um, partly some, a little bit to time build, but I really like the overtime. <laughs> the paychecks are pretty nice if I could, if you could fly a lot. Um, and then it was just, you know, kind of something to keep the motivation going to get through a shift. You know, it was, um, if you could turn your plane in two or three minutes, that's, you know, another flight you could get back to base first and get another flight. So, um, yeah, do that every single day for 15 days. Rough. That's, that's tough. I yeah. was on call for 10 days Yeah, and it'll be rough. Yeah. Add another couple five days on that. Don't know if I could do it. Yep. And so that all makes me appreciate my current job yeah. a lot more. Why didn't you want to follow Raven up to their, their regional? Yeah. So they do have the 121 certificate, which flies the uh, Corvus, which flies the uh, Dash 8. Um, they only do day trips. So you start and end your day in Anchorage, which is awesome if you live in Anchorage. Um, but I, I don't. So um, they, they actually do have, I think, really good schedules um, at the regionals. We would call those a local trip, you know, just a day trip. You start the day and end the day at your base. Almost makes it like a nine to five job, which can be good, can be bad too. Um, but I believe their starting pay is north of $60 an hour for FOs. Um, and if you're only flying day trips, if you live in Anchorage, that is a sweet gig. So, um, but I wanted to fly for SkyWest. I had a lot of friends that were at SkyWest prior to me starting here. And um, yeah, I guess going back to, you know, like growing up in California, um, we would always fly SkyWest from like Sacramento to San Francisco or LA, uh, frequently on the Brasilia or the 200. Um, so kind of nostalgic, I guess, to, yeah. to fly for SkyWest. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. What made you choose the regional right now? Um, yeah, mostly that. And so I had a lot of, so I, I've, a lot of people from Arizona state end up flying for sky West. Um, there's, you know, sky West is a Phoenix base, which is relatively senior, but people can get back there within a couple months now. Um, and so I was fairly familiar with sky West. I talked to a lot of different people at, uh, different regionals and in my personal opinion, I guess it seemed like everyone that I knew that was at sky West or had flown for sky West previously, enjoyed their experience yeah. for the most part. Um, that played a big factor into it. Um, SkyWest also has a bunch of California bases, which I think eventually at some point I'd like to... What's wrong with Chicago, man? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. I love Chicago. Kidding, yeah. um, at some point, you know, if I end up at SkyWest for a long time, I'd like to go back to California. Um, one big thing that I... I guess two things that I had were considering strongly with regionals were... Uh, where would I like to be if the market tanks and I end up at a regional for a career? That was one thing. And then B was bases and commutability and um, where do I want to live? Um, so for me, again, SkyWest seems to be historically a pretty stable company. Um, it has pretty decent growth. So I will say in my, f- in my first 12 months at SkyWest, um, I think I believe on my first anniversary at SkyWest, there were uh, 1,100 pilots below me already, which is insane. 
it does feel good. Um, it makes yeah, it makes me feel really good because I'm already that means there's already twenty percent of the pilot group below me in my first year. So, you know, knock on wood. Obviously, if something were to happen and furloughs or layoffs, you know, came around, they'd have to go through a lot of people before they get to me. And I'm not saying I'm, you know, invincible or, um, yeah, anything can happen. But it 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 makes me feel a little bit better about my job. Um, yeah. And then the other thing was, you know, bases and where do I want to live? Um, when I was flying for Raven, I was commuting from Alaska. So, or sorry, excuse me. I was commuting from Arizona. So I would jump seat up, uh, three legs from Phoenix to Seattle, Seattle, Anchorage, and then Anchorage to Bethel. So it was a full day each way. Um, and I was basically, I do not want to commute to a regional. Um, so, you know, I have family here in Chicago. There's a little bit of family history here. So, um, I'm familiar with Chicago. I love the city, wanted to live here. So, and then also the possibility of being able to go back to California if I want, um, made Sky West a pretty, uh, attractive option for me. Yeah. What's kind of your end goal? Or do you have like an airline that you would love to work for? You just like whoever can pick me up, let's go. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a specific goal. Um, I would honestly be happy flying for any company, even SkyWest. I think there are some people that can be kind of bitter about you know being stuck at a regional or something like that. But one thing I tell people a lot is that if the regionals were like the top of the industry, let's say, let's say the best job in the aviation industry or the best job in the airlines, you know, was the regional pay scale and the regional schedule. Well, most regionals you'll probably top out at around $120,000 at the top end of the captain. captain. Yeah. 120. Yeah. I, I think so about yeah, $120 an hour. Or so anywhere between 110, 150 grand a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, after let's say you're here for a career and after, you know, 15 years, you'll probably have, end up getting 15 days off a month. If you asked most people, if like, if you just walk down the street in downtown Chicago, if they would take 120 grand and in 13 days off a month, it'd be be like, like, where do I sign up? Where do I sign up? Exactly. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty sweet gig by itself. Well, I mean, we're pilots. We complain about a lot of stuff. Exactly. I mean, we have to complain about something. You're never satisfied with where you are. Yeah. Even guys at Delta are like, well, that FedEx pilot's making more money than me. Exactly. But and that's, I think, where that bitterness comes from is that there's a, there are jobs that are essentially the same, you know, require a type rate, require a type rating and pay potentially three times as much. And you only work, you know, eight or nine or 10 days a month. Just wait till the new contracts come out. Ex- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I just try and keep it in perspective. Yeah. I guess I'm not. In a major rush, I'd love to fly for a legacy or a major airline. Um, but it's a good mentality to have, though. Because yeah. even where I'm at, like I love the job I'm at now. People are here for a career; they make a career out of it. We have people flying the globals, making over three hundred thousand dollars, but they're working a lot. Yeah. At the company I'm at now, the big knock is you have to. The more senior you get, you still have to work a lot okay. to make a lot yeah. of money. You don't ever work less to make more money. There's gotcha. options to work less, but you make, make less way money. less yeah. money, like significantly less. But at the airlines, you get more senior one week, maybe a whole month, and you're making like 400 grand. Yeah. Now, granted, that's a very rare scenario. It probably doesn't happen all the time. There's a lot of catches to the airlines, too. Right. But 
tough. And it's when you ask people, it's always, they don't, I think one of the biggest things that can catch people is getting too comfortable with where you are. Yes. And so like once you're at a regional, even where I'm at, where you're making good money, you know, you're making like a hundred grand, maybe a couple more, like 120, 150, even at a regional, like you're talking about, it's like, well, I don't want to take a pay cut to go to American, but really what you're, you're going to be giving up so much money in the long run. And yep. it's a, it's a tough place to be in. I mean, yeah. cause like you said, you go to anywhere in Chicago, you ask someone, they're like, Hey, you want to make 150 grand work 13 days or work even 20 days a month? They'll be like, right. yeah, absolutely. Sign me up. So yeah. it's tough to take a pay cut and do that, but it's, it's necessary in this, this company yep. or this uh, industry. that we're Absolutely. In. And that's, that's another thing is yeah. Not getting too comfortable. I mean, my plan is hopefully take not necessarily the first, first available upgrade, but upgrade, relatively quickly um, and kind of put myself in a position to move on to potentially a better, better job in the near future. Um, yeah. You do see a lot of people that maybe write out that senior FO life as uh, at the regionals, which I mean, I, I can't knock them necessarily. That's uh it's not bad being, you know, top 10% at, in any seniority list. Um, but yeah, for me personally, I think it makes sense to. I mean, yeah, like we said, whatever work, different jobs work for different people. Different people are in different situations. Right. So like yeah. you want to get, if you want to max out your career earnings and you're willing to move wherever you want, then chase it. Yep. If you have a really good life in Chicago and you're working for Sky West and being a senior FO or a senior captain there makes out best for your family life, then do it. Yeah. Like who cares? Who does like, if you can survive off 150 grand and live in totally. Chicago yeah. with four kids or whatever, then go for it. Absolutely. And I think that's a really unique aspect of this job. It, it, provides a pretty decent amount of flexibility. And if the airline schedule doesn't work out for you, um, I know a lot of people that love the two weeks on, two weeks off kind of thing. So either 135 is up in Alaska or like something like Atlas um, that allow you to have big chunks of time off every month to travel or you know if you live abroad but want to keep a job in the US, something like that. Um, yeah, it's pretty unique. I like it. Almost one of those things where there's too many options where like no matter yes. where you are, you're always second guessing yourself. Absolutely. Like, well, my life could be better here. I could do this. My phone friend's doing this, but I'm doing this. It's like, what's better? Yeah. Oh, I found my dog's hair. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, with the seniority system, it doesn't really benefit you to job hop. And I see a lot of my friends like in the tech industry who are able to, you know, kind of move jobs if they see a project that they like more. Um, there are a ton of different types of flying that I would love to do. But unfortunately, because of the seniority system, it doesn't really make sense for me to, you know, hop, go somewhere else. Um, you know, I'd love to try the flying that Atlas does. I travel on, I jump seat on Atlas a ton. They're a great way to travel. Um, I'd love to fly, you know, a 7.6 or a 7.4 and fly from Hong Kong to Delhi and then back to Anchorage and stuff like that. Um, but I don't necessarily want to end up at Atlas forever, I guess. Right. So it doesn't, like to try it. Yeah. So it doesn't really make sense for me to like leave SkyWest and try it and then like come back to SkyWest, you know, right. that, really just give up a bunch of seniority. Um, I'd love to try corporate. Mm-hmm. I've not, I don't really have any expo- experience with corporate flying, but it, again, it doesn't make sense no, for me to leave SkyWest yeah. to try that. Um, you know, I'd love to go fly, you know, air tankers or something like that. Yeah, but, but once again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, there's a ton of cool jobs in, the, in this industry. That's Out, one of the reasons not just why, airlines. why I went the route I did and because I knew I always wanted to fly a PC-12. So I tried to find a place to fly a PC-12 and I always wanted to fly for the company I'm at now that if I went to the regionals or I went to the airlines, I'd never want to give up that seniority to go back and do it. Yep. So it's like, all right, maybe I might sacrifice a little bit of seniority at the beginning, but I'll never have that regret of like, what was it like? Like yeah. It's kind of like, 
I've tasted it. And if I love it and fall in love with it and want to stay there, then I'll stay there. And if not, then I'll go move on and yep. try something else if I'm able to, if I'm lucky enough. Yeah. But like, it's been fun. So yeah. we'll see. Let's go ahead and do a quick little rapid fire section and then we can okay. wrap it up. I'm um, just going to ask a bunch of random questions. Oh boy. I wish I had them written down. <laughs> I used to have them written down. <laughs> okay. So it might be like two questions or it might be 20. We'll see. But uh, say the first thing that comes to your mind and as fast as possible. Oh boy. Okay. You ready? Yeah. All right. What's your favorite airplane you've ever flown? Uh, Alaska Mayday. What's your least favorite airplane you've ever flown, if you have one? Oh, it, I don't want to say a CRJ 200, but it is, <laughs> it is a little painful to fly 200 after flying the 700, 900. Right. Fair enough. What is your favorite airport you've ever flown to? Um, As you being the pilot, not like a passenger. Yeah. Can I say not an airport? Yeah. Uh, Knick River Strip. Okay. North of Anchorage. No big deal. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, what's your favorite airport you've flown to as a passenger? So like in all your travels. Are we talking like, as in like the destination or like the airport itself? The airport itself. Uh, let's go with um, St. Thomas. Okay. That's cool. cool. Um, uh, what's your favorite approach you've ever flown? Uh, I just recently finished uh, DMA training at SkyWest. So for Aspen and Eagle. Oh, cool. And I'm going to say the single engine well uh, not single engine i'll say the uh <laughs> the localizer dme 15 into aspen okay we fly in aspen all the time so okay yeah it can be interesting yeah yeah it's fun so, <laughs> point that nose straight to the ground yeah <laughs> get yeah. down yeah yeah what's your least favorite approach you ever flown um probably the back of the hand napkin approaches that i would have to fly in bad weather in alaska yeah. over the stansom stack yeah well just like places that didn't have official approaches, but like if the weather's garbage and the land, yeah, you have to land. So, um, sorry, I'm like going off on a tangent, but like you would fly like, you know, and okay, this is incriminating (laughs) OBS approaches. Yeah. Have you heard of it? Well, yeah. I mean, we used to have to like, you go direct to the airport, you hit OBS and you line it up, make a fake center. Yeah. Just just hit a thousand feet at three miles and a 500 and a mile and a half. And, do that. Yeah. And doing that, like, because you can't see anything is not fun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, let's see. What is your favorite airline to fly on? You've done a lot of traveling, whether it's um, jump seating or just I on-rev. really enjoy Cathay Pacific. Are they pretty, um, do they like having non-revs? Are they pretty welcoming? Um, or? Yeah. I've, I've just Zed'd, done Zed fares on Cathay. So I don't think they know I'm a non-rev, but uh, the in-flight service on most Asian carriers beats American carriers like out of, flown on, blows them out of the water. Air China. I've flown on Dragon Air. Okay. I, maybe not those. <laughs> but, so I'm going to have to disagree with you <laughs> from my experience. Uh, my example is like uh, the other week I flew from Taipei to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. It's an hour and 15 minutes. In an hour and 15 minutes on a heavy, uh, we were on an A350. Nice. They do a hot meal service with like hot towels, two drink services. Um, in the U.S., if you're on an hour and 15 minute flight, you will, relax, you will yeah. struggle to see the flight attendants even get out of their jump seats. <laughs> My experience is Shanghai to Beijing, oh, hour I, and 45 minute flight on Air China. Yeah. We flew for two and a half hours and we landed back in Shanghai. Okay, yeah, that's not great. Not great. With no explanation at all. They're like, oh, this is your captain. We're going back to Shanghai. And everyone on the plane was freaking out and we couldn't understand anything. <laughs> so we're like, everyone's looking at my 
family's looking at me like, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> They're landing back in Shanghai. It's That's like, funny. are we in trouble? I was like, probably, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, Did they get you back to Beijing at some point? It was eventually? a mess. We had to, because traveling in China is awful. Yes, it's a, it's like, it's an, especially, it's an adventure. Like maybe international travel in China is okay, but like domestically throughout China, it's terrible. Really? You have to like, it turns in a whole day affair. Yeah. Like, Naturally. So if you're flying from Beijing, like you got to block out 24 hours to get there because it's wow. constantly delayed because the government restricts, I'm sure you know, they restrict how many rates routes that they can fly on. And if there's bad weather through those routes, you either fly through it or you go back to your destination. So yeah. All right. Back to the rapid fire. Um, what's your favorite airline livery? You've seen a lot, so. I have seen a lot. Don't lots. say a bad one. Yeah, man. If you don't say anything, then I'm just going to say you said spirit. Big yellow banana. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is it's so lame because it's just what I fly. I actually really like the new American livery. It's a good um, one. But they did a good there, job. there's so many better ones out there. I just, yeah. they just don't, not coming to me right now. Do you have a least favorite one? One that's just like. Uh, yeah, like Japan Airlines okay. or China Eastern. Yeah, China Eastern's pretty bad. Yeah. See that one? I'm just like, why? In those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <it's> like, <laughs> I don't want to get on that plane. They got to worry about people throwing coins in the engine yeah, for the oh takeoff. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Um, that's pretty much all the ones I have for you. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, and it was very short notice. Yeah, so I appreciate it. <laughs> the perks of living in Chicago. Yes. But it's uh, nice to finally meet you. We've been talking for a while, so it's good to meet you and yeah. tell your story. Uh, last thing I'll ask is, I usually ask this to everyone. Someone comes up to you, say you're at Oshkosh, you're on air show, they hear this, they want to ask you questions about what they should do. What would you recommend kind of like Three tips, it doesn't have to be three, just a couple of tips that you'd give someone that's new into this industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess don't lose sight of the end goal, um, especially if you're starting out in flight training. It can be very, it can be a process. That's not always fun. That's not always fun. Um, I think it's also hard to not compare yourself to other people. Gosh, especially um, with Instagram. Yeah, yeah it's, it's bad. And I mean, I, we're, all, we're all guilty of doing that. Um, but, I think if people realize that the average pilot is a lot more average than, th- than they think they are, um, we'd all be a lot happier with ourselves. Um, in terms of once you're actually flying for a job, live in base. Um, commuting is not fun. And I understand it's not always an option to live in base or to move, um, but it has been a huge quality of life increase for me living mm-hmm. in base versus commuting to work. But- um, yeah, I think those would be the first three things cool. I can think of. All right, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on and uh, look forward to talking to you more. Yeah, absolutely. See you, man. Thanks. AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode number 85 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast. I'm currently doing this one in my car as my mother-in-law and my dad are both at my house. There's no room to record. I sound like an idiot talking in a microphone when they're staring at me. So got to do what you got to do. If there's a little bit of background noise, that is why. But I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As I said earlier, looking for 400 reviews on iTunes. Please, I need your help. Share it with friends. If you haven't reviewed, please take the time out of your day to review it and let other people know how great of a podcast this is and how much you like it. Check out our website, pilotthepilothq.com and our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pilot. Avionation, if you ever want to contact me as well, pilotthepilothq at gmail.com. That's all I have for you today. I can't wait till next week's episode. And without any further ado, and as always, happy flying. <laughs>